morning. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here. You know, there's a, there's a sense that we have right now in our church that God is moving and God is working in us and through us. And, and, and you know, just this week as we've fed people and saw food go everywhere and as we embrace Calvary and this new this mission that God has given us to be a, a light where we are and to grow where we're planted. And um, it just seems that God's power is, is moving here and God's power has fallen here. And, and you know, I, I'm not saying that God has given me some promise of this crazy, you know, supernatural thing that, that is that I've got in my mind. I just want to walk with the Lord and see where he takes us. And, and I, I, I don't know why God is moving here, but I'm grateful. And I, and I want to, it's my prayer that we continually see that. And it's, it's, it's been amazing over the last several weeks as, as God has led us to, to look at these churches in Revelation and, and examine where we are. Because that's one of the greatest uh, blessings of these churches in Revelation. It gives us today uh, an opportunity to examine our heart and where God has us and where God is taking us. And, and, and I want you to understand that, that a, a, a time of biblical examination, that's a command of God. For us to continually examine our hearts. In, in, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. And, and, and you know that we're called to continually examine where we are and where God has us. And, and you know, when you examine yourself, like, like these churches, the message to, uh, from Jesus to these churches, it's a, a moment to examine ourselves. Now, when you examine yourself, there, it assumes three things, I think. Number one, you, you, you examine yourself and you realize, man, we are a perfect church or I'm, I'm really doing, doing perfect as a believer. And that's one option when you examine yourself. A second option is, is, well, we already think we're a great church and then we or a great believer, a great, a great follower of Christ, but I'm really not. You know, that's, that's an option when you examine yourself. A third option when you examine yourself is that you get a realistic view of where you are. And you, you realize, hey, we've, we're, we've not arrived yet. We've got work to do, but, but we can keep improving and keep walking with the Lord. Now, it's my prayer that the third option is where we are. That we realize, God, we need you. Let's have a realistic view of what you're doing in our lives and in our church and and, you know, when you look at Laodicea, it's an interesting place in Revelation 3. Turn there in your Bibles, if you would. Uh, Revelation 3, verse 14. But Laodicea is this, was this city that was um, known for black clothing. And, and they had this special kind of sheep there. And, and, and they, they had this, this, this kind of sheep made a specific kind of wool. And, and, and they were sending this all over, really, the world. Laodicea was a, uh, a place that manufactured this, this medicine, and, and, and it was an eye medicine that, that was used for healing of eye diseases, and they sent that all over the world. That's what Laodicea was. It was a place known for that. It was also 
kind of one of the places that were, it was really, really wealthy. They had one of the uh, leading banking centers based out of Laodicea. In fact, in, in AD 60, there was, a, there was an earthquake that leveled the city. And it was interesting because Rome, they, they instituted government and, and, you know, we base our American democracy off, off in Western civilization off Rome. And they actually had a fund that was available to cities to help them rebuild. But when they came to Laodicea to say, hey, we want to give you money from this fund to help you re- rebuild, they said, no, we're good. We got it. And they were so wealthy, they were able to rebuild their own city. And it's interesting that that's what they were known for. This was a place of incredible wealth. And, you know, the word Laodicea comes from two Greek words, laos, uh, which means people, and decia, which is a kind of a derivative of the word rule. And basically it means people who rule themselves, Now, the reality is that was their biggest problem in Laodicea. They were a people that had this mentality and this idea that, hey, we can rule ourselves. And when I think about one of the biggest struggles of believers in in churches and and followers of Christ, it's this idea that, hey, we can rule ourselves. I, and and, and I, I run into people all the time, and, and they come to God on their own terms rather than saying, God, what do you want? And, and the reality is for us as a believers, as believers, for us as a church, I pray that we are continually in the spot where we are looking to the Lord and not to ourselves. And that was the problem of Laodicea. So would you stand with me and let's read our text this morning. Revelation 3, 14 through 22. And if you're visiting today, we stand in honor of reading God's Word just as a practice that that acknowledges this is not our words, this is God's Word. And so let's hear it today. Verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne. I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit 
says to the churches. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now, this is the last letter of the seven churches to Asia Minor, and to me it's the, it's the saddest letter of all. Now, as this message went out from John to these real churches, some people say that uh, this is a, the churches are representative of the different ages of, of the church throughout history, and, and that's a possibility. But I I also think that in every time, there are churches that have these different struggles. Now, when you look at at this message to the church at Laodicea, there's there's a glaring point that I want us to see. Point number one is this. A church can actually make God sick. Now, that's that's a crazy thought. You know, we live in a day where we talk so much about the forgiveness of God and the grace of God, and, the, and those are all true. But, but as believers, we, we see in this passage the discipline of God, and, and that God disciplines those that he loves. And, and this is a church that made Jesus sick. Now, how would you like the Lord to describe us that way? No, I don't want that. We, that, that must be, this is why we've got to hear this message that, that, that uh, I don't want ever the Lord to get to the point where he looks at first Owasso and says, you know, I'm sick of you guys. Now, that, that's not a message we hear a lot at church, but it's a message that the scripture teaches here. So we need to hear this. That, that now, what, what, is, what is the problem? Well, there's, there's several things going on that you see at Laodicea. Number one, here you see self-sufficiency will never be a healthy pursuit in your life, in our church. That this idea of, hey, I'm self-sufficient. And even in the day of Dave Ramsey and, and the day of financial stability, and regardless of where you are, we must never become self-sufficient. And, and this is the, the, the call. A self-sufficient church makes God sick. Look at verse 17. He says to them, you say, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. What, what they were saying as a church is, is, God, we don't need your help. We got this. Now, I can't imagine getting to the point of us looking at God saying, God, we don't need you. We have this. But that's where the church was. This is a church, the the characteristic of a church that's come to believe that that it was so wealthy, it was so talented, it was so intelligent, and and they got it all together that they didn't need the Lord. And, And when I think about the American church, this is, I think, our biggest struggle. Because as I look at pastors uh, that I rub shoulders with and, and, and they have conflicts within their churches and, and, and most of the time those conflicts aren't over we're reaching too many people with the gospel. Most of the time it's like our budget's tight so we get, we get mad at one another. You know, I know a lot of churches whose budgets are strong, and, they're, and here's the sad reality. Their budgets are strong, and they're not reaching people. And they're like, oh, we're good. I've seen churches where they're reaching people, and their budget's tied, and, they're, and they're, there's conflict. 
I think this is a, a picture of the American church that I, I pray we hear. And, and it's interesting, as you look at this, this struggle, this is not a new struggle of God's people. Deuteronomy 6, there's a, a really important passage and a warning to God's people all through history. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10, it says this, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And it's interesting that God warned his people, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget that all this came from God and not yourself. And I think this is, this is important for us. Because the Lord has brought our church into a time of prosperity. And as he does that, we must, we must make sure that we don't depend on our financial resources. That, that we don't forget that, that um, we, we, we hear the warning of the, and, and heed this temptation of, of trusting in the blessings rather than forgetting to trust in the blesser. Does that make sense? And this is the warning that we see here, that we can become spiritually fat, comfortable, self-sufficient. That's why Paul instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He says, as for the rich... In the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, the, the, the point here is that we must never begin to trust in our own abilities. We're, we've been gifted, and we should use those gifts. We've been blessed financially, and we should use those gifts. But we must never forget to trust in the blesser. And this is true individually. It's true for us corporately. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. This is why prayer is so important. Because we've been in 71 days of prayer asking our church to pray through, all the way through the end of the year. And I, and I hope you, if you've not been praying, I pray you start joining us and praying for our church, praying for our witness in the community. I mean, the Christmas season is coming. We're all listening to Christmas music. I, I survived putting up my Christmas lights yesterday, barely. It was incredible. Um, uh, in a shock to me because I thought I was going to fall off the ladder. But, but throughout the Christmas season, people are open to coming to church. And when in prayer is this interesting reality because when you get on your knees and you're looking to the Lord saying, God, we need you, it reminds us how desperately we do need the Lord. And, and you know what that's like. You know how 
futile our, our wealth is and, our, and those things we, we can't trust in. We trust the Lord. And this is why this is important. You know, a church, it's interesting to me. Now, I know a lot of our church, they work on airplanes, and I'm not an expert in airplanes. But, but when you think about an airplane in the air, it's the only vehicle I think of that doesn't have reverse, Right? If you're in an airplane and you're going, you're going, baby. You're going. And if you go, if you stop going forward, you, what are you going to do? You're crashing, okay? Because an airplane's not supposed to get in the air and go backwards, right? That's what a church is. That, that we're not to, to go backwards. That's why we should always be saying, Lord, where do you want us to be? How do you want us to live? And that's where Laodicea missed it. And it's interesting, they were self-sufficient. And I pray we're never, we never live there. The second thing about Laodicea that you see, there's another lesson in this church that, that apathy is an important temptation to overcome. That, that we shouldn't be apathetic as believers. That, that, um, and it's this idea that a, that a who cares church makes God sick. A church that lives like, like, who cares? Look at verse 15 and 16. He says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor, you, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You know, it's interesting because six miles from from Laodicea was, was the city of Hierapolis, which was known for their hot springs. And it was interesting, they, there was a, right, right over in Hierapolis, there was this waterfall that, that was, went over a cliff that was 300 feet um, deep and, and about a mile wide. And it was interesting because it was hot springs and all these calcified um, um, minerals would form on these hot springs. It was beautiful. It was incredible. And it was hot water coming over. And, and it was interesting because um, the adjective here of hot or cold, we shouldn't compare this to a spiritual fervor like, are you hot for the Lord or are you cold for the Lord? Because see, hot and cold were both good things. You know, it was a comparison. The Colossae wasn't too far, and, and it, was, it had cold waters that were refreshing. And, and Laodicea was this place where the waters were lukewarm. And what's interesting is, is the, the example for the church is that we are either providing the hot medicinal waters for people to be healed, or the, the cold, refreshing water that helps those that are, that are, that are needing a cold refreshing, refreshment from their life. But see, Laodicea was lukewarm. But basically, this means their work was totally ineffective. And that was the church here. And when you think about lukewarm Christians, um, that they, these are people that, would, that maybe will say, I, I believe in the cross, but I'm not moved by it. Now think about that. People that believe in the cross, but they're not moved by it. They, they believe the, in the fact of sin, but they're not disturbed by it. They, they believe there's a hell, but they don't have a problem, they don't have a burden for people that are going there. 
These are people that, that believe, hey, we ought to love people to Christ like what we've talked about, but, but I'm really not going to make the effort. Lukewarm Christians are half-hearted. Uh, they may not be full of some heresy or immorality. They, they, just don't, they, they, they just yawn at spiritual things. You know, lukewarmness produces this, this indifference to conviction. That, that conviction, we're like, ah, we don't, we don't need to be convicted. And so the question that we've got to realize, or, or the, the, the reality that we have to understand, is that lukewarm Christians make God sick. And, and so let's ask ourselves something. For us, you know, our church, and this is something that I think about a lot, our church is a reflection of us because we are the church in this community. And so I want us to hear this. When God looks at us, does he see lukewarm Christians? Does he see believers who are... Who are um, who are really medicinal, like the hot medicinal waters that are that that when it comes to lost people in our community, they 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 rub shoulders with us and they go, man, you bring healing to me. Or or this refreshing uh, water of Colossae that that when people rub shoulders with us, we refresh our offices, our our schools, our neighborhoods. Is that who we are? Or are we this, ah, you know what, I'm just not going to speak up about my Savior. And, and you know, apathy is, a, is something that I pray that we don't ever enter into. And that's, that's the kind of church that makes God sick. Now, point number two is, is, is I want us to hear this, that, that serving the Lord with passion is a choice we make. And this is something I pray we, we hear today. You might be saying, Chris, man, you're, you're kind of ticking me off today. I mean, hey, I'm supposed to come to church and, and be like, hey, you're supposed to make me feel good about things. Okay. And I want to. I want to feel good too. But, but let's not miss the scriptures here. Because there are times that, that the Lord convicts us and that comes to us and says, re-examine where you are. And I'll tell you, we, what, kind of, what kind of pastor would I be if, if I wasn't modeling this and, and if I wasn't saying, hey, let's make sure we're on track. Let's make sure we evaluate. I mean, what, what kind of I mean, coach do you see that, that is is watching a player make a huge mistake, and he just goes, oh, well, I don't want to hurt his feelings. I mean, no coach does that. And see, God sometimes confronts us, and, and, and so we've got to realize that, that serving the Lord with passion is a choice we make. And are we going to be this way? Are we going to serve the Lord passionately? Now, you see so many great things in this passage. There, there's this active, submissive relationship with Christ. That's what God is calling the church in Laodicea to do, this active submission 
to the Lord. Look at, look at verse 14. This is really, really cool. And, and it's a, this is a church that recognizes that Jesus is the ruler of their lives. And what I want us to do is be a group that, of people that say, God, you are the Lord. And look what he says. He says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. The, see, see, he's the amen. Okay, and this is, this is, I love Jim Coley's amen. Uh, Jim, give me one right now, right there. I love that. I love that. Well, it says Jesus is the amen. That's, that, that Greek word means to be sure and true. It's used in Isaiah 65, 16. And, and in that verse, God is the God of the amen. And, and right here, Jesus takes that title that's reserved for only God. So I want you to understand, this is a message from God, from the amen to the one who is the faithful and true witness. That's who's writing this. He says he's the beginning of creation. That word is a Greek word that means originator. That's who Jesus is. He's the originator. Now, he's not, he, he, just, he wasn't created at the beginning. He was there at the beginning. God, Jesus is eternal. God is eternal. And Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And look at this, Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And that's who's writing here. That means that every little blade of grass sustains itself because of Jesus. That, 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 that the fingerprints of the Lord Jesus are all over his creation. This is who's giving this message. He is the beginning of God's creation. And, and, but Laodicea has lost this. In fact, they have shut him out. Look at Revelation 3.20. A famous verse that a lot of people look at as, as people coming to Christ. Oh, if you'll just open the door of your heart and let Jesus in. But we see the message of Revelation 3.20 is not to a lost world. The message of Revelation 3.20 is to the church who has said, God, we are shutting you out of our church. And that's why Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come, eat with, come in and eat with him and he with me. See, the point of Revelation 3.20 is that a church has shut out the Lord because of their apathy, because of their self-sufficiency. And, and, and see, I pray that, that this is never us. There were never a church that says, God, uh, Lord, you're always welcome here, right? Lord, we want to be submitting to you and, and listening to you and following you, not our own path. And that's the temptation that, that we have as believers to go our own way. Isaiah 53 tells us this. And, 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 and here's the, the point, that, that we, are, we, are, we have an active, submissive relationship with Christ. And this is why every time we give an invitation to, to move, and, and this is not just at the end of our services, this is every day of our lives. Lord, move us, lead us. 
There's also, uh, you see, not only an active submission relation, an active submissive relationship with Christ, there, there, there's this uh, call to have a genuine confidence in God's power over our own resources. And I pray that this is true of our lives. Look at this, verse 17. You say that I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You know, it's this, it's this point where the, following Christ passionately is a choice we make. We, we have to decide that we'll, not, we'll stop operating in our own power, in our own strength, trusting our own retirement plans, trusting our own checkbooks, trusting our own gifts and abilities. But, Lord, we trust in you. And that's the call of this church. That's the call for us as believers, for us to be living a life of faith. You know, we had a conversation around our dinner table the other day with my children. And, and we just sat down and said, okay, let's, let's just talk about how we've seen God move in our lives. And, I mean, my, my Eric's about to go to college. I mean, we're going on a visit this week, college visit this week. And, and you know, we're preparing for this. this is, he's a junior, but, goodness, it's going so fast. And I looked at him and thought, man, so he, he's probably going to sit in a college class that some, some professor is going to just rock his faith, like what happens in, to many of our college students this year. It's happened to him. And we sat down and said, let's just look at how God has moved. And we started articulating, look, God did that. God did that. And so the truth is, when a, when a, when a, a really uh, guy, when a smart guy, supposedly a worldly smart guy that's read a lot of books, looks at me and says, it's foolish for you to believe in God, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. I've watched God move. It's foolish for me not to believe in him. So, look, you may think I'm intellectually weak because I have a faith in God, but let me tell you something, my faith has been proven over and over and over again, and just like we see every day, we can trust the Lord. And so I, I pray that we, we get this. He says to them, you're, 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 you've forgotten that you're wretched. That means hard and calloused. You're pitiable. That means you're, you're pitiful. You, 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 uh, you've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten that you've been forgiven. You're, you're poor, which means beggarly. This is a person that, that, that lives below who they are. He says that they're blind. And this was a, a shock to Laodicea because they had the, the, the medicine that the world used to cure their blindness, but yet they were blind. And this is this picture of, of, of walking in darkness. They, they were blind to their own um, sin and their own callousness, that they were naked. This word means to be dressed in rags. And, and they were children of the king, but they were dressing themselves in rags. And see, that, that's who we are. We are children of the King. We, we are followers of Jesus. He, is, he has made us new creation. He, is, he has delivered us from our, from our sinful condition, our death. And so this is why we should never be self-sufficient. Because we didn't earn our salvation and, and, and we don't sustain our salvation. Jesus has forgiven us. And this is why we, we choose not to live in our own strength. And when you look at this church, man, they're, they're, they, they, they were struggling because they were 
confident in their own power, their own resources. But there's another thing that, that they, they needed to do, that, that God calls them to do here. That there, there's this continual refocus on spiritual disciplines. Look at, verse, look at verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness and it may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now, now we understand this, that, that we don't purchase our salvation. It's given to us, but it's coming to him. Like if you're going to buy something from somebody, what do you do? You go to them. I want to go to you and see, I want what you have. But see, when you go to him, guess what he does? He gives it to you, doesn't he? And look at this, this gold here is a picture of faith. It's the idea of 1 Peter 1.7 that says this, these have come, these trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This gold here is a picture of faith. It's a call to stop trusting in what you can do and start trusting in what God can do. And see, this is the person who is saying, God, I will forever be willing to trust you. And this is why, as a church, we've got to hear this. God, we will forever be willing to step out into the unknown. And it's a lesson we've learned this year in 2017 as God moved us to take a step of faith with Calvary Baptist Church, a church that was struggling, a church that was close to shutting their doors. And, and we stepped in and said, hey, let's, let's not let that happen. Let's, let's, let's bring a vision here to this community. And you know what? On Admiral, it's a, it's a mecca for sex trafficking in, in, the, in our state. What are we going to do about that? I don't know. But we're going to do something. We're going to trust the Lord with that. There's high schools around there that are, are not going to be playing for a state championship this week. That barely have enough kids to come out for their team. And what are we going to do about that? Well, I don't know. We're going to figure it out. We're going to trust the Lord. I've had, I mean, shoot, we had a, a, a fall festival, our first event there. There was a grandfather who came with his grandkids. And he was so drunk he couldn't stand up. And you know what? I was so proud of our people. Hey, hey here, sit here. Let's get him some food. Let's help him. Hey, we, we better all, we got to always be willing to say, God, we don't know how, we don't know how to connect all the dots, but hey, we're, we're going to move forward and trust you as we go. And, and that's the call here. This white raiment is, this white garments, it's righteousness. That, that's the picture of righteousness. It's, it's that Christ says that every believer should be living a godly life, and, and these garments that are white, um, it, it, it covers our nakedness. And that's what's amazing is God is, has, has made us pure. He's made us new. And this is this reality that it's this progression that, Lord, I want to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles me and I want to walk with you and live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. This eye salve that Jesus is talking about, it's, it's saying, hey, I want you to see like, like Jesus sees. And how does Jesus see the crowds? He was moved with compassion, like Matthew 9 says. And he, he ran to them. He, he prayed that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into his field, and that's us. 
for us to be a church that says, Lord, we will continually be a church that is in the middle of your harvest field and walking with you. And we see that a church that chooses to stay there and, and chooses to walk with the Lord is, is one that continually focuses on these spiritual disciplines. Lord, I'm going to walk with you. And then you see a last thing here, that a church that chooses to walk with the Lord is, is quick repentance is a common practice, that, that we're quick to repent. And that's who we must be, a, a church that says, God, we're going to be quick to come back to you. We're going to be quick to go to our knees. We're going to be quick to acknowledge when we get off track. And, and I, I love this about the Lord. It's this call to get, get off the fence and get in the game. And that's, that's, where, that's where Laodicea was. You know, as an athlete uh, growing up, uh, my dad was a coach. And, and one of the things I hated more than anything was to be on the bench. I never wanted to be on the bench. I wanted to be playing. I wanted to be on the, in the game. But you know, there are so many churches that God puts on the bench and that's why he says this. Look at verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And that's our call today. That's the message to the church at Laodicea. Hey, don't be lukewarm. That's not an option. I pray that in our church, we are like the, those hot waters that, that are medicinal, that, 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 that help those that are sick. I pray that, that we're like those cold waters who are refreshing. Because when I look at a world without Jesus, they need the refreshing that Jesus brings, that he can only bring. You know, this is an important message to churches. I pray we hear it. Golly, people around us don't know Christ. And it should move us. There's, your fa there's people in your family that, are, that, are, that don't know Jesus. It should move you. There are people you work with that we live next to, that we're around that don't know Christ. It should break us. We should be a church that says, Lord, we will be one that refuses the lukewarm temptation. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Some of you, I want you to come and pray for our church. Lord, may we, may we be right in the middle of your will. Let's pray for that. Maybe you need to pray for someone in your life that doesn't know Jesus. Come pray for them. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, you know what? Does Jesus really provide medicine that heals me? Can, can Jesus really refresh my soul? Oh, yes, he can. And yes, he will. And the reason you're here today is God is calling you. God is moving you. I, I want some of you to come and pray. Lord, may we never be a church that shuts you out. Lord, may I never be a believer that shuts you out.